When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. Uh, as usual, you can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can get us directly through theprovince.com, VancouverSun.com, but please subscribe, download, and give us a rating. Everyone, you are in for a treat this week. We have our largest cast for the pod ever. Uh, joined by both Patrick Johnson and Ben Kuzmar, our beat writers, and our columnist, Ed Willis. Gentlemen, welcome. Super wow. pod. Look at this. It's the Ten Commandments version of the, the, four, of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> we, we actually do have four microphones. This uh, uh, Back in the heady days of province sports, I remember Jonathan McDonald and I passing a terrible microphone back and forth when we had about five listeners. Um, I used to have to pass the mic down to Jonathan. He'd pass it up to me. Cheap short joke there, but whenever we bring but him up, we have to do that. Please tell me it was the long Gene Rayburn match game microphone because yeah. that would be too awesome. I wish it, if it was. was. It was uh, a small, it's called a snowball podcast the visuals microphone. There. But <laughs> here we are. We've moved on. There are actually five people in the room. We have our producer Juanita Ng here. Gentlemen, please raise your hand if you want to talk. Otherwise, it'll get messy. No, just kidding. <laughs> Everyone yell over each other. Um, you're in for a treat today, folks. We are going to talk uh, about everything that's happened last week with the Canucks. Talk a little bit about Quinn Hughes. Talk about the power play. Uh, the Canucks memories with their 50th season. We have some stuff coming up on that and we might even get into some ugly uniforms ugly sweaters towards the end depending on how long we ramble uh, I want to start gents with um, what we had last week the Canucks were coming off a 2-1 overtime win against the St. Louis Blues uh, I looked at this team and thought well they're already in the playoffs already I mean they're just scoring goals for fun playing the big teams and then they lost fairly convincingly to Chicago uh, got trounced by Winnipeg lost at home to New Jersey and all of a sudden, things look like they could be a little bit different. I open it up to any of you on the floor. Uh, big win uh, against a quality opponent in the Predators last night. How did you see this last week for the Vancouver Canucks? I think we're all kind of waiting for that other skate to drop. I mean, is this sustainable? I mean, what they were, what were the, they were scoring at a ridiculous rate and put up a five spot last night. So that's now eight games where they've scored at least five goals. And we're thinking, can this power play be sustainable? Suddenly, they only score five goals in a four-game spurt losing streak. They get blanked in two and four games on the power play. Now the injuries creep in. So now we're thinking, ah, oh, it must be November. Things are going south. What happens? Like you said, they play the Predators. They go three for three on the power play. They put up another five spot with goals. And I guess what kind of impresses me about this team, there seems to be some resiliency with the way they play. You know, this isn't the Harlem Globetrotters. They play hard. They play fast. A lot of their goals come off that. So I think, uh, what do we make of them at right now? Hey, 19 power play goals in 19 games to lead the NHL. That's the, that special teams are going to be your ticket to the postseason. I guess the big thing, guys, here, we can pass this baton around. Is this sustainable? Well, to me, I look at that offense, and just a little more on that context, if you think about it, that's that's on pace for 82 power play goals on the season. Only five teams scored more than 60 last year. So that's kind of, you're like, they're doing great. Like, that's the amazing thing. They're doing great, but like... 
it's not going to be amazingly great. It's still going to be very good, but you know, a goal here, a goal there is not going to be there that they have been getting, and that's going to make the difference because they've been outscoring teams. I mean, they've been playing okay, fine defensively, but the fact they've been able to outscore teams has been the key to success. And just the past history tells us that you know the goals aren't always going to be there. Geez, I was not prepared for Patrick introducing Raw Dad into the, this Raw podcast. Dad. My mind is officially blown <laughs> now. I just need a timeout. Okay, um, I, I'm going to quote the great Denny, Dennis Green. Uh, to me, they are proving to be who we thought they are. Uh, for me, there is a cluster of about five, six teams that are going to be around the 6th through the 10th, 11th spot in the West. And I think the Canucks are going to be right in there a- until the end. And and whether or not they succeed in pushing over the playoff line depends on a myriad of factors, probably most to do with health, maybe a little to do with luck. Um, they are clearly a better team. I think anybody can see that. But to me, the question has always been in relation to what? Are they good enough to take that next step in a very difficult Western Conference? And that's why this is going to be such a compelling season for Canucks fans. And I think that power play, Ed, is your get-out-of-jail-free card. It's been such a struggle for so many years. You know, 21st rank last year. It's it's just, you know, I talked to Quinn Hughes about this the other day, and he actually had to kind of take me off the ledge because I'm going, you went 0-4 on the power play. What's wrong? And he basically said, listen. We're still getting to know each other's tendencies here. Whether it's Pedersen on the left wall, me at the point or whatever, somebody down low. He said, I had to play one game on the power play where I had the puck behind the net. Miller went to the wall. I went to the wall. All I had to do is give him the puck in the slot, and he had an open net. He said, we're still evolving as a power play unit, especially PP1, although PP2 actually scored the goal the other night. So I think that, to me, is the intriguing thing. It looked so good on paper, and now it's starting to produce. You can have a meh game five-on-five draw a couple of penalties, score a couple of goals, and suddenly, suddenly the equation's changing here. You know, they're winning games with special teams, and they haven't been able to do that in the past. Talk you off the ledge. Yeah. Uh, come on, Ben. You're off the ledge. To, you're supposed to be objective. No, off the ledge. I'm going, what's wrong with this power play? Come on. It looks so good on. on paper. Come on. Yeah, come on. I was on the ledge. Uh, Ed, we've talked about him before, um, and you have history with Quinn Hughes going back to, I know you covered, well, no, you covered him with the World Juniors last year, and we knew he was a Canuck pick. You were... You would sort of highlight that. How important is he to this equation going forward? Well, he's vital because it's all part of this thing we're talking about with the power plane. It's been an issue since what twenty since Christian Airhoff blew town, uh, basically. So I, I I I still look at him, and I'm not sure if the Canucks have ever had a player like this. When you go over the history uh, of this team, like Dale Talon still holds the freaking record for points by a rookie defenseman. Can you believe that? The very first year, um, the, there was, a, I think... That, was, that really is shocking. That, that, that's, it's amazing. So not only that, there's only about five or six defensemen in the whole history of the franchise who've ever had 50 points or, or, or more seasons. So the, it looks like there's a guy who's going to be a 60, probably a 50, 65, maybe 70 might be pushing it. But that's what he's going to be in his career if he stays healthy. So to me, he's just massively important. And I'm one, I'm looking forward to Colorado on so many levels because I think they're in the process of separating themselves in the Western Conference. But I'm really looking forward to the matchup between Quinn Hughes and Cal McCarr. Patrick, um, you know, you've, you've been an advocate, as we say, raw data, looking at the numbers. Uh, how, I mean... Colorado is they're one of these teams that were supposed to be there. Canucks have shocked some people early in the season. Uh, how do you see this matchup, both individually and also the two teams? 
we know what Colorado does really well, and they skate really fast. They've got some interesting young defensemen. But last year, we did see that they had a hard time playing defense, and the Canucks have been doing one thing on offense really well, which is getting the puck to the slot and getting really good shots off. And that's been no surprise, I think, given the, the changes they made in their lineup, especially on the back end, their ability to get the puck up the ice, their ability to disrupt the the other team as they come through the neutral zone. So that, I mean, I think they actually match up really well against Colorado. Colorado's going to come at you hard, but their defense is still, you know, I think got some question marks. And to me, it, it is as ever when you go, you know, you're playing against a team like that. When they're playing at home, Colorado's really tough because they're so much thinner. But I, I think the Canucks, there's almost everybody. I mentioned last week, Vegas is a team I want to see them up against to see how they really do match up there. But against, there's a lot of teams out there that I think they're now starting to show they match up well against. We saw that against Nashville on on Tuesday night, that, that there's a team that's got you know strong players in all their positions, and the Canucks were full value for the win. I want to get this out because the old guy memory lapse might might come in and I'll forget it and there'll be a long, awkward you pause. you got to carry a notepad around think, with you and write these things down when they come like, to you. Like the Guy Pierce character in Memento, right? Oh, there it is. Uh, no, when we talk about this issue of sustainability, I don't think this gets enough run. It's the Canucks goals against record ah. the, the, this season. And, and to me, I mean, their goaltending has been such a huge part of this story. Like on a night-in, night-out basis, it has been there. Um, sometimes it, they don't have the better goalie on the night. The two games I covered on the road in Winnipeg and Chicago, that was the case. The other team had the better goalie. But over this 20-game sample size we're talking about, the goaltending has been there virtually every night. And that's one of the things that makes me think this is going to, you know, we're going to be talking about this again in April. So you must have been stealing my notes, Ben. This is something we get. Maybe this is the shiny object, and with our as we've moved forward as a society, our, our attention span. The Canucks have the was it fourth or fifth best record? Uh, fifth best record of goals against. Right. Yet they're kind of middle of the pack. They're twelfth for goals scored, but we keep talking about how many goals they're scoring. Is this as Ed says? Is this the the, kind of the underrated aspect of this team is that they have, they've been really good in their own end. Well, I think two things come into play. Obviously, the goaltending has, has been very good, uh, and suddenly the, the defense is better. I mean, they don't spend as much time in their own zone. You, you talked about Kale McCarr, and you know that's the one thing that we're going to see with the Avalanche. That's their guy who gets the puck in transition so quickly, so they're not spending time in their own zone, and that's another McCarr Hughes thing we'll watch on the weekend. But getting back to the Canucks, uh, I just think that. Uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, we don't know we don't notice Jordy Ben because he doesn't make mistakes. Uh, Myers and, and Edler have played better. They're playing too many minutes, but they're playing better. But getting back to the goaltending, this is the big thing. Um, Jacob Markstrom said a real inter- interesting thing uh, about a week ago when I had a chance to sit down with him one on one about uh, the evolution of the position and working in tandem with Damco. He said he grasps things quicker than me. Ian Clark basically looked at two tall goalies and said the biggest problem with tall goalies is they don't play tall. They they think they can cover a lot of net by flopping down, not sealing up the short side, not getting across post to post, being more on top of the crease. Markstrom said Demko is amazing how quickly he grasps things. And I think we even saw against the Predators. I mean, yeah, they did score goals. There were deflections, tips, whatever. Just his calmness in the crease and, and being square to pucks. Now you've got a situation here. And we talked about this earlier. On Evan, any given night, doesn't have to be a back-to-back. You can defer to either guy. And I think that's really going to be important. I see some bad habits recently with Markstrom. Uh, glove side, maybe. And, and let's be honest here. With everything he's gone through, I'm surprised 
these things haven't creeped up earlier. But I think Demko's evolution here, and something Ed mentioned earlier, that it's going to get to a point here where, okay, uh, he might be the designated starter. we got to run with a hot hand here, and it could be Demko. I, I think it is going to get more and more of an interesting talking point because Demko has shown so well. I mean, and as you said, like Tuesday night, okay, there were three goals against, but there were some saves he made. I mean, there was, there was a sa- couple saves on the doorstep that were – Game savers. They were literally kept them in the game. And Kyle Turris. Yeah. yeah. And the Yossi one at the end, just before yeah. the empty net goal, yeah. the pad save. Yeah, right. And then, you know, just, I mean, you know, there was that there was that loose puck that he was just able to kind of, he didn't get, cover it, but he got his glove in front of it, and there was nothing that Predators could do with it. And he's just so steady and so smart. You know, you can see you can see why he's had success so far, that he's, he's matched, as you just said with Markstrom, he's matched, you know, the athleticism with an intelligence that, uh, you know, tells us he's going to be a very successful goalie for a very long time. And if you look at this team, um, what's the key for you going forward? Like, I, It intrigues me that they lost, and this is a long NHL season. We've all seen the grind and good teams lose against bad teams over and over again. But when this team has had, for a young team, when they've had the challenges against teams like the Predators or certainly when they played the Blues, they've looked like they match up with them. I mean, obviously they lost to the Blackhawks who are really struggling this year. Um, but where do you see – Is this, this team looks like they can rise to the challenge. Is consistency now an issue for this team as, we, as, we, as yeah, the season Yeah, if I had out? to pick one issue out, and then let's, let's dispense with, like, health and experience and, you know, those things. To me, the one issue is that middle six and, and, and some combination or a couple of Jake Vertanen or Tanner Pearson or Josh Levo or it might be it might be Roussel, it might be Furland. They've got to emerge as twenty goal scorers here. They have to emerge as like a reasonable offensive threat. I think you know what you're gonna get from that fourth line. I think you know what you're gonna get from the first line. But to me, that's it. And and if they can be offensive drivers, if they can be producers, then I think a lot of the questions about the Canucks will be answered. But I think we're all shocked that Tim Schaller hasn't continued his 60-goal pace that we saw earlier. I, I, yeah. I, for one, certainly am. Yeah, who, who saw that coming? Um, I, I had a conversation with Patrick before we came in here, and it's so funny how social media can blow things out of proportion. And there's the one play where the puck was dumped in, Pedersen slams his stick on the ice, and then I saw this all this reaction like, man, he's really angry. He must be frustrated that they've lost the last couple of games and everything else. And PJ told me after after the game, he was actually in a really good mood, said some funny things. He sits just outside the top 10 in scoring. That's a fancy way of saying he's 11th. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but but honestly, if yeah. he, had, Paul. he hasn't hit the heights yet. No, that's, the, like, that's the old beaver tail. You know, he's slapping, he's doing the clapper. He wants the puck. He wants the puck. I mean, the first goal he scored against the Predators, you can't teach that stuff. The puck goes off his chest. It falls to his feet. Most guys would be just panicking. He said, you know, usually I would think of uh, passing the puck. He snapped it on Rainey. Yeah. I mean, there was a And it was a rolling puck, too. Four inch it? Hole. it wasn't like it was sitting yeah. there. He it was wants just, the yeah. puck. He hounds the puck. And you talk about him being, you know, threatening to be in the top 10 scoring. I think the great thing for his involvement and even maybe for his linemate in Brock Besser is that the way that Pedersen hounds pucks away from play in his own zone, I mean, that makes everybody around him better. So that, that that's where I think kind of the excitement level is perhaps potentially at even strength is the fact that, you know, you got to go get the puck first and then be good in transition. And again, that was another startling example of, of Pedersen, not just that goal, even the second goal to be at the net. Well, 
You know, that, that's why he reminds me of Forsberg. And I'm talking about Peter, not Philip. And it's the way his tenacity on the puck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. physically, he couldn't be more different. And, you know, maybe if he does put on that 10, 15 pounds, but he's always on the, pl- on the play. He's always around the puck. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But that's, that, that's the thing that impresses me most is the totality of his game, the skill. Yeah, all, all that stuff. That's great. But the fact that he can do these other things, and that's going to win the confidence of his coach, that's going to win the confidence of his teammates, and that's why I think he's going to be the centerpiece of this team, really, for the next decade. The thing that struck me about that, you know, the slamming of the stick, because I think from his perspective, he's like, Hughes has the puck, the last guy he's expecting to dump the puck in when he's in this spot where he, if he gets the puck, there's a hole for him to hit and probably take the puck in on alone uh, on that alone is Quinn Hughes and so I think it was just kind of a frustration in the moment like come on man give me the puck but to go on the tenacity thing there was a there was a moment early in the first period I think it was and uh, Rene came out to play the puck behind the net and kind of shoveled it back around and he's coming back into the net and Pedersen basically sees the defenseman going for the loose puck and he's like I am going to get that puck and he had to take a, a line that basically took him between Rene coming back into the net and the net he just blew right through this little space and went and I can't remember who the defenseman was but literally I mean he we've noticed he likes throwing hits and he he just went in and just was like no that's mine and just bashed the defenseman over and all of a sudden the Canucks had a scoring chance. And that's was, not a one-off anymore. How many times yeah. have we yeah. seen that? Because we always talked about this time and space issue with Pedersen. How is he going to find space? How is he going to be stronger on the puck? Well, he is stronger, but he's got this edge to him now. Somebody takes a run at him. The next clip you see, he's running the guy into the wall. And and that, that resident, the only thing he can't do right now is seem to draw a penalty. Have you noticed how many flagrant well, he's infractions in been. club now or nothing. Well, he's actually, yeah. you know what, there's been a few times where I, he's done the head thing and looked at the ref, and yeah. I wonder if that kind of gets around the league, yeah. or maybe because he's a Canuck. He's never going to get a break. So well, he's the double whammy now. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Tony Gallagher's alive. It's well a conspiracy. <laughs> if, I, if I look at this team, though, um, again, last week we were raving about Miller and how well he had fit in. It's not like he had a bad week, but this week then it's someone else. Like as this team gets going, I, I mean, there's so many names when you, you brought up Ben um, or Jordy Ben, I should be specific. You know, you talk about guys like Jake Vertanen, they're allowed to slot into their roles and do what they're doing without being a story of failure and all this pressure on them. That's got to help this team going forward, don't you think? Obviously. Yeah, I do. And and something earlier that, that we sort of touched on is the fact that, you know, the one thing the Canucks talked about before the last tro- road trip was that they're kind of like in everybody's consciousness now. So games are going to get harder. And we were talking about November. I mean, Jake Vertanen said, remember, Ed, it's going to get harder. And it is already getting harder. So fast forward to the second half of the season. I mean, Antoine Roussel has already been telling me how he's going to kick the playoff door and drag everybody into the fight for the Canucks. He was already envisioning him and Furlan on a line with somebody in the middle, and they're just going to wreak havoc in the second half. It's a, it's a great narrative, but really, Travis Green even spoke to this when he's talking about Furlan and all his struggle, struggles. We're going to need him. We're going to need guys like that. We're going to need Roussel because, boy, if they start getting close to the playoffs, we know how those games ramp up. It's not just the nice story about playing some quote-unquote meaningful games. It's how much it's going to be ramped up. So if you can get guys like that more involved and even semi-productive offensively, that could... Roussel's impacts can be really interesting. I mean, we're now probably a couple weeks away from that, sometime December. Uh, how he slots in, I mean, I, I think he's a great fit for Bo Horvat. He did well with Horvat last year. 
you know, before he got hurt, he, you know, had hit a career high in points. He was had his eyes on getting 40 points. He said, I want, you know, if I weren't hurt, you know, having to miss the start of the season next year, I'd want to get 50 points next year. He's such an interesting character, and he wants this team to be the team he imagines it to be so badly. It's going to be an interesting impact to see him come in because, you know, also he also knows no matter how much he plays, he's going to be rusty. It's not going to happen right away. And how that, how, you know, he handles it. I mean, I think he's going to handle it fine, but how he handles that transition as he tries to find his groove again and sort of find his way into this new team that is, you know, does look quite different from last year is going to be a very interesting process once he's back. You know, when they acquired him, the knock on him was he can't skate anymore. You know, he'll lead the league in offensive zone penalties. What did he prove to be their most consistent yeah. left winger until the knee injury? So that's going to be really interesting to me. So you've got him playing with. So we got up to ten different line combinations now for Horvat <laughs> when we're putting Roussel well, up. Well, that's there. how it goes. But, isn't but, it? but we talked about this earlier. I can't remember, tell you how many times on the road last year where he dragged the team into the fight. And we couldn't get him after the game because he was having maintenance and something was wrong with him. Something was some limb was askew. But um, boy, just talking to him the other day, uh, he is full of it. He just he can't wait to get back and you just can't have enough of those what, guys. Did you guys ever, either of you guys ever get the Roussel experience where you have to interview him while he's doing his sort of yoga stretching on the floor? Like, did you ever post game one of those? Because he he did it a couple times with us on the road and he'd be, well, can I can I sit? And he'd do this sort of That's stretch. Right. He's leaning yeah, he out. Did it in Dallas, and you, yeah. you know, everyone's sort of around him on one knee kind of like with their, you know, you know, you got all the guys holding, trying to get the right position. It's, you know, hard, tough enough when they're standing up. But I did see his kid come into the room one day when the kids were playing mini sticks and his yeah. son gave another kid an elbow. I do remember <laughs> I think he was all of three years old. So there you go. Ed, we, you know, we've talked about Furland. Obviously, a concussion is never something you can um, predict one way or the other. But the Canucks made a couple of call-ups today. Uh, you know, you have covered Utica in the past. You covered their playoff run. There's obviously so much competition now for the guys down there for if they get a shot here. Do they have enough down there? We've seen Bart Berchi come up and then not really play a factor. Godet, another guy on the fringes. Um, but, you know, given a, given his chance, I think everyone sees that he will fit in here. What does that say about the team that you, you know, you will levy as a guy we've talked at ad nauseum, still hasn't played a game up here, so we get the weekly reports on how he's doing. That farm team relationship with the Canucks seems so important now. Yeah, no, it, 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 it does. And I think there's a pool of players that can help short term. You know, I, I think, you know, in the long term plans of the Canucks, I'm sorry, don't count Nick Legel. I, I think Yulevi <laughs> is probably the one guy that they see, fi- you know, being a fixture on the on the team going forward for for a long period of time. I think I, I assume they called McEwen up, just judging yeah, it's by McEwen the yeah. Gravach, yeah, yeah, and and who Gravach. Gravach. You don't even you don't even know who it is, Ed. You don't who even know who it people is. People who have never been in my kitchen, Alex. Uh, <laughs> couldn't tell you. Couldn't. But McEwen, McEwen is fine in the short term. I'm just not sure if he's. I, I think he can fail enably over a three four game stretch until somebody you know gets back up to speed and get gets back get, gets healthy. But I just don't see him being a long term solution. In Ed's defense, he was in a training camp. He was stuck covering some football team, and so yeah, yeah. he would have missed the. But all these wingers, guys. What about the middle? Where's Jared McCann when you really need him? You know what I mean? I mean, this He's is interesting first now. Line in Pittsburgh. I know with with Beagle and Sutter on the <laughs> shelf, it's fine to recall wingers. Yeah, what like about Adam Gaudet, all of a sudden emerges as a really important player for this team again over, over this next ten game uh, ten game stretch. We joke all the time about the U.S. Thanksgiving mark, but as I was looking ahead to the schedule, and I was going to you know ask you guys the opinion of of what lies ahead for this team in the next week. But really, when you look from now until the end of the month. Um, 
you know, the next two are home games against Dallas and Colorado. So you're dealing with, you know, obviously people you're going to be scrapping with in the Western Conference there. Then you're on the road back with Dallas, back with Nashville. And then you got Washington, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Edmonton in a long road trip. Uh, not going to ask you guys your favorite place to eat on the, in those th- in those places, but this is a bit of a of a test for the Canucks the rest of this month, isn't it? It certainly is, and, and isn't it interesting? We're almost a year removed from the CEO of the Dallas Stars, Jim Lights, going after right. Jamie Ben, going after Tyler Sagan, and, and what happened? And what happened the other night? Montgomery says, Jimbo, he says, my first line center and my first line left winger aren't playing very well. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. So we have a situation here on Thursday in Vancouver with the Stars coming into town with a team that was a goal short of making uh, the postseason or the conference final, I should say. Uh, added uh, some pretty good players, yet now you've got the situation between the coach and the players. Uh, I, I think they're a mean piece of business uh, when they're when they're playing well and you got them twice. So getting back to Paul's question, uh, th- th- this is going to be a really difficult, really difficult road trip. And usually we know by the U.S. Thanksgiving, uh, you can pretty much set the playoff bar. I think it's been a little different of late teams are, are, are beating that narrative. St. But Louis. boy, it, yeah, it's gonna it's going to be it's going to be really difficult. But I think uh, right off the hop here, the stars are pretty intriguing coming in here. It, it, it's funny the perspective you get because like the last four years, we've looked at the Canucks through this prism of like twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty eighth place. So I, I'm not sure when I say this, but this is a tough, tough league. And I know that's the most obvious thing in the world, but I, I'm just sort of go, going through 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 my mind, trying like like who are the easy wins against in the NHL right now? Would you say Detroit? Maybe. Would LA. you say LA? Yeah, certainly. There's 31 teams, a- and every night it just seems like it's a test, and I just don't see any soft spots in the schedule. So you've got to you've got to bring it every night in this league. Well, it's interesting you say that Ed, because as I looked at that schedule, obviously the road trip and any time. You know, you start off in the West, you go into the East, we'll have this conversation about how many time zones they go through, which seems to be so important these days. But that last one against Edmonton, I mean, Edmonton's one of these teams everyone was laughing at before the season. How long until McDavid really, you know, pressures to get out of there, they never make any progress. And look, not not only is, have the Oilers been on fire, but McDavid has. I mean, now these games... Canucks and Oilers are massive, aren't they? As you look forward to an actual, what's happening in the division? Well, yeah. Look at just look at the division. The Can- the Canucks are in, and and it just boy one through seven. The, the, it, it's you know it's like again I hate I hate to say it, but it is it's a battle every night. They're going to be tested every night. Their resolve, their depth, their skill level, their ability to play with pace, their goaltending every freaking night. They're going to be. They're going to be. They're going to be put to the examination, and that's why. And again, it's just there was a great quote from Joel Crenville. I use it in my Monday column. and he was talking about yeah, there's a playoff race in the NHL. It starts in October and ends in April, and 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 it's and it is. And it used to be, you know, we'll find our way and we'll ease into it, and you know, we'll get some momentum around U.S. Thanksgiving, and then we'll find out who we really are. You got to hit the ground running in the NHL these days. Just getting back to the Oilers quickly here, I think two things you have to look at is behind the bench, playing Arizona hockey, structure. Oilers never had structure. Kenny Holland only signed free agents to one-year deals in July. He doesn't quite know what he has. He knows what he has in his top four or five players, but he doesn't know what he has in Edmonton after that. So you've got a very smart guy running the thing and a guy behind the bench who just 
breathe, structure, boring hockey, but of course they have the offense to, to oversee that. One other point I wanted to make about this road trip that Paul talked about is that it's really interesting to me how Travis Green is handling uh, the younger guys. You were on the road trip, Ed, and he referenced Adam Gaudet that he thought he looked tired in Chicago. And then he figured, you know what, I gotta, I gotta, I can't play him in Winnipeg because we don't have the last change. I want him on the energy line. I want him to be good in matchups. So I figured out he was better off not to play, play him at home where I have that say. They had situations where Quinn Hughes had, you know, three and four games said, you know what, I felt tired at MSG. Or we're not sure how Pedersen's going to handle the stretch. I think it's going to be really interesting. And this, this comes from a supportive thing and a, and a balanced attack. How are they going to manage the kids down the stretch? And how are they going to handle the, a trip like this? And where they're playing management. every other night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> load management. I, I'd look at just, the, you know, to your point out about how tough the league is. You look, I mean, who's the best team in the Western Conference? Uh, there, there isn't a clear cut. Uh, who is, Louis, is, it, is it Las? No, is it St. Las Vegas? I don't know. Right. Saint I mean, it's not. Nobody's yeah. out. You know, the, everyone's. There's some very good hockey being played right now. Nobody's perfect, but you know, St. Louis. We've seen the Canucks play St. Louis twice now, and they've looked pretty good. You know, they stole that one win. Um, you know, and they've been close to the Stanley Cup champs. Vegas. You know, I as I've said before, they're a team that I measure against. But there's no one else that right now is really standing out. And even if you look at the East, okay, you can say Washington. You know, are obviously an elite team. The Canucks held held tight with them. Boston has been flying high, but there's nobody else that's really standing out as being, you know, this is one of the top four or five teams in the league. There's maybe three teams that clearly are firing all cylinders. And and that's to the Canucks' benefit because they are playing well and there are a lot of points that they could pick off. They did very well in October to pick up wins they needed in, you know, in the long run if they're going to stay in this playoff chase, which they're in right now. And on that road trip, they're, you know, in even this week, you know, they, they're going to play the Stars twice in the next week. Uh, as we've mentioned, they're playing the Avalanche. I mean, those are all games where, you know, they keep picking up points. They're going to keep themselves in the conversation, and and it's it's certainly a fun time to to be following this team around. All right, I'm going to segue here with the Canucks to the news of the, if not the day, the week. Uh, ben, you asked me uh, on Monday when the Don Cherry stuff broke. If you, you know, you were going to get some Canuck reaction and, and, you know, how would we handle it? And I kind of, I don't want to say I yawned, but I sort of thought, okay, I know what I'm going to get, right? Like this is going to be mm-hmm. hockey speak 101. And I was shocked that Bo Horvat said what he said. Um, pleasantly, I, I might add, the fact that he stood up and said, I'm not going to put my own judgment on say said the right thing, but he didn't say the easy thing. He didn't dodge the question. Uh, and frankly, he took a stand that is counter to a lot of the momentum across the country that we've seen. Before we actually get into the cherry talk, which I know you all have opinions on, how impressed were you in, with Horvat in that situation? Well, uh, we talked to him briefly after the game, and I know Patrick had a chance to talk to Bo briefly as well. Um, I asked Bo, I said, uh, did your phone blow up as much as my phone? Because... You know, as as much as I thought he not only acted as a as a consummate captain, but as a citizen, and to understand the diverse place we live in, that is the Lower Mainland, and not just the immigrant population, to take that kind of stand, we didn't quite know what to expect because post practice the room didn't open up for like thirty minutes. We thought, okay, what's going on here? Is it a is it a meeting with the players? Are they prepping the players for a reaction to Don Cherry or what? So when we went in and eventually. No, no, but that was the refreshing thing, Paul. The fact that we got Bo, it's not only what he said, and what, I think the, the, 
the telling line was he said he agreed with the decision because he could have easily said no comment or couched it in some way, shape, or form. He wasn't out to defend any, uh, to basically, he was, I got the impression he was actually speaking from the heart. I don't think it was a prepared statement. I think it, what he believes in. Uh, I just know of Bo Horvat's value system, a small town guy, uh, what it means to be a captain of this team and to live in a but city that, that's th- so diverse. But ben, that's what fascinating. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's prototypical yeah. cherry territory, yeah. small town Canadian yeah. kid. Ontario. You know, yep. fine. We remember him taking his runs at Pavel Bury historically or the Sedins or Nasland or name the foreigner, right? Like that was John Don Cherry. But that's and what, the fact yeah. that, that Horvat stood up, like has giving him the seat changed him? I just, think it's, I, think it's, I think it's just brought his true personality more to the forefront because he initially said, Paul, he said, hey, you know, Coach's Corner every Saturday, Southern Ontario, you bet we watch it. It's being Canadian, right? That was his first quote. I thought it was poignant. And then he got into the fact that, you know, this is not right. Uh, I agree with the decision. And I just think people are finding out. I mean, my, my phone blew up. The responses to, I posted Horvat's quote to Twitter, because sometimes we do that as we're working on a story. I say, you know, I'm going to get it out there. And sometimes when you're posting something, you might get twenty to 30,000 impressions when you're doing a, a story that people are interested in, or maybe it goes north of that. The last time I looked, and people are still responding to it, there were 245,000 impressions and an amazing amount of interactions with Bo's quote. So to wrap it all up, I think people are finding out more about the person we all know about the player and and this is a guy i mean he was on the national news for crying out loud i mean i was very you should be proud of him yeah it was quite the position he found himself too because if you think about the timeline of when sportsnet announces their decision essentially the canucks are the last team available because you know that they're you know there were only two games on monday anyway it was remembrance day uh if teams were skating back east they were all long off the ice long out of sort of the media's gaze by the time Sportsnet had announced the decision. The only team essentially left skating were the Canucks. Um, you know, and so I find it interesting. Do you, ben, by the way, do you think that 30 minutes, is there any chance Bo was sort of polling his teammates what he should do? Do you have any sense I would, of that? That would not surprise me. I think the one thing that speaks to Bo's strength is the way he does involve the leadership yeah. group. Like there are a lot of sort of uh, skull sessions. How do we want to approach this, guys? Yeah. I'm the captain. I, I'm, I'm more than willing to speak to this. How do you think we should approach it? Yeah. Because I know, remember, we also talked to Sutter briefly. He was quite kind of uncomfortable talking about it, Sutter. Um, but there weren't many guys in the room. But I, I do think bowling on other guys. It's not a thing that, you know, I'm mean, inherently players, you know, they want to play hockey and they want to talk hockey. And they're, you know, let's be honest, mostly not interested in, in a lot of stuff. Some are, obviously, in various ways. And so, yeah, it was striking to me that here's Horvat. He essentially becomes the spokesman of hockey players. It wasn't just about the team. but And whether, I mean, he don't, you know, I don't think he would have perceived it that way. And when I talked to him last night after the game, I said, you know, was that the first real test for you, not just as sort of a the team captain, but as this public spokesman? You know, and he said, yeah, it was. And it was, and he, you know, in, in hindsight, it was far tougher than he realized it was going to be. You know, he did not really expect to get the reaction the way it did. And he saw it. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a lesson for him. But, you know, he didn't shy away from the fact that he took on the role and he understood it. I mean, it was something that, you know, in, in the summer when I was sort of pondering the idea of how to approach the idea of what is a team captain now, especially. I did call up, you know, Ben Brown from Canucks PR. I said, Ben, I'm thinking about stories related to 
to to a captain? What does it mean? And you know, can you give me some insight into your impression of what it means? And Ben gave me some really interesting thoughts, and one of them was a very much about the idea of uh, you know the, the the importance of the captain as a spokesman, and that there are going to be times when you are representing you know more than just the, the hockey team. That there's a sort of an ethos there. And, and, you know, it, we weren't talking specifically about any players. It was just what is the role? What are the, you know, expectations? What are the demands? And so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And I, and I went, you know, that, that was what it, this is part of the job. And you have to think about it. It's not, it's not just about the, you know, it, it actually isn't even about the rah-rah guy anymore because that's just not a thing. That's not how leadership works anymore. And who did he learn from? What's that? He learned from whom? Henrik Sedin. The yeah, interesting exactly. thing with Bo yeah. Horvat, he's been purposely groomed for this position for years. Part of the marketing campaign, always out in the charitable community. And who do you cross paths with in the charitable community? All kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of cultural diversity. So I just think that he had a real firm understanding of not only what he does for a living, what it means in the city and who he interacts with. So as hard as it was because of, of you know, th- th- it was very polarizing, right? You either agree with what Bo said or you don't. There was no middle ground. I just thought he handled it admirably. The one thing I would have maybe, you know, maybe I'll try to get into it a bit further down the road, and there wasn't time for it, but it was you think about also the way the Canucks fan base is. This is a very diverse fan base in a way that isn't true necessarily of maybe any other team in Canada. Like, it, it is very representative of of its of its community. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do find myself wondering if that played into, you know, if he is, you know, there is a self-awareness from here. It's clear from him. That's clear. And so I felt, you know, I did find myself in afterwards thinking, you know, how much of that did, you know, how, you know, you look in the stands, you see the people that are watching your team and it's a broad range of people and people who, a lot of whom were very affected by what Cherry said one way or another. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was a very, it was a very impressive uh, thing he did and, and speaks well of, of sort of where he's at already. Uh, already as a as a hockey player and I know you've written a couple of things on this already uh this week but just generally thoughts on cherry I mean you must have had this column written probably 10 times in the mm. last 10 years uh, we're not surprised that it happened the way it did to be honest with you but uh <clears throat> I'll tell you I mean I used to have to deal with him 20 years ago when when he wrote for the province and we he would fax this handwritten be like 40 pages of handwritten column and then I'd have to transcribe it because he didn't know how to type uh, you know, he certainly has his charm, has his strong opinions. Look, we, we hammer guys in sports media all the time about not having a strong enough opinion. But, you know, to me, the expiration date was so long ago, it's not even funny. Yeah, it, it's actually the early 90s. And, and I, 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 I can remember about what the incident was, and it was to do with French language and its divisive uh, impact on Canada, and I, I, I got so many mixed feelings about this because I'm not going to sit here and pretend I knew him, but I had enough kind of interactions with him over the year. I think I had maybe a little more complete picture of him, and and he, he's fascinating guy. If you're if you're on the topic of British history, uh, if you're on the topic, he was a reader and he really was a thinker. So I mean, you could engage him on those topics and have a wonderful conversation with him. He just had this, like, this blind spot. And I'm not even going to write it off as he was a product of his generation. Because my dad was of that same generation, and so were a lot of his friends. And then it was just that level of, of can I use the word mean-spirited? Is it, I, oh, I don't know what it is. It's bigoted. It's, it's xenophobic. It, it's all those things. But, but that's the way it came, up, came across. 
and it, it, it was it was hurtful and it was divisive and, and I kept thinking you know why why would you even go there even if that's what you think when you're at home or you're sitting at the bar talking with your friends why would you use this platform to bring those things out and as you said this was incident about 3012 he should have been gassed a long time ago but the CBC had this relationship with them you know it was and, and, and I've thought about this. this is the analogy I use and it's going to be crazy I know it was the same relationship Carmelo Soprano had with Tony let me expand. She knew who he was. She knew who yeah. he was. She knew he was a bad guy, but she lived with it because she she liked she liked, liked the the quality of life he provided, and also liked the little danger aspect of it too. She didn't mind being around it. And to me, that's what the CBC, who's mostly you know Cherry's relationship with hockey, and I, usually mostly runs through the CBC. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I, no, I well, what I what I found funny is that I know Patrick was very strong on social media with it. You know, Ben, you've talked about your reaction uh, to the Horvat comments. I do the little promo thing every day and tell people on on ten forty what we do in the paper, and they asked me about Cherry, and the people who sought me out and were like exceptionally nasty. Uh, I guess it wasn't surprising. Um, but the effort people make sometimes to do that is. But what did sur- shock me a little bit is this city has always had a very uneasy relationship with Don Cherry. Like even in their Stanley Cup runs, I mean, obviously 2011 is the Bruins. You go back to 94, you know, you had Messier, Graves, guys that Cherry just loved. And it's it's one of the neat vagaries of this uh, franchise as we do celebrate their 50th anniversary. If you look at their best players, there's very few in the conversation that are Canadian. I mean, they've had solid Canadians like Linden, like Horvat. I mean, you put Luongo up there. But you go back to, you know, Cherry with Bure, Cherry, with, as I said, with the Sedins, Nasland. Even now you've got Pedersen and Besser. So many of the Canucks' greatest players have not been from Canada. And so they haven't wrapped themselves in the flag the way Don Cherry loves to do. And so I was a little surprised that locally there was as much love for them as there was. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because people, yeah, in the playoffs would get upset because I mean he always he never liked this town because it's a town that doesn't sort of fit in with his worldview and you know and I think he begrudgingly would pay have to pay attention to the Canucks but it was always clear he wasn't really paying attention to the Canucks. The the thing that struck me the most, Paul, about those fans was in, in a, was just how kind of how cranky they were and how they just didn't want things to get or at least even people who make attempts at getting better, that somehow there was some sort of personal affront. And I, I, I almost feel bad for them because, you know, so much of the discussion was like, well, we, we, we can't be that. We need to be better than this. And somehow that was, they people would take that person, well, what do you mean? And you're like, I don't know, let's not be so angry. And they'd get angry about it. And that just still strikes me. It just, it, it, like, it just makes me feel sad that that's where people are at and that they somehow have ended up in that spot that they're so mad about the idea that maybe their hero was wrong and that maybe we can talk about this language you, you that he's using. You weren't surprised at that, though, were you? Were you, I, just, were you hoping for something different? And no, it, it's it just come? always, it always, yeah. it, it doesn't surprise me, but it always kind of catches me. That just like, why, why, how is it that people end up in these spots? Because they're just, you know, it, we're, you know, the, the point at the end of the day is we want to be better than this. Let's make better. Let's get along. Let's, let's be less angry. And just people get angry about that very I, Like I wrote that column. I know if somebody would have put a headline, Don Cherry, blah, blah, blah. And, and my copy would have been my 
my grocery shopping list. I would have got responses that probably ran 50-50. You're an idiot. He's not a bigot. You're the one with the problem, too. That was brilliant. Oh, yes, he should yeah. have been yeah. gone long. And I, it, people's minds were made up about this long before. But that's so all, right. all you can do. All, yeah, all you can do is kind of express your thoughts and you know your that, feelings on isn't it. Isn't that the line that we see in hockey all the time? I mean, I, I didn't make this point on the team. Don Cherry, you know, there's the, there's the bigoted aspect or the way he viewed non-Canadians is one thing. You know, this is a man who made millions upon millions of dollars peddling videotapes of brain injuries. And whenever you get into the conversation of hockey fights and their place in the game, that's not even to say that they should be banned. You know, Cherry had zero compromise there, despite what we've seen happen to guys like Derek Bugard and Rick Rippon and all these other instances down the road, things that the NHLPA and the players themselves are taking seriously. That, that's a line Don Cherry didn't even want to know where it was. He was firmly on that one side. And the people that were with Cherry in that camp, the second you even bring up mitigating hockey fights for the player safety, it's pussy, snowflake, you know, uh, yeah, you know, leftist, whatever. I mean, go, go, go through that playbook, and it just seems to me, as you said, Ed, it's very early 1990s, not 2019. He, so he, he accused guys involved in the CT the CTE lawsuit of just being in it for the money. Yeah, so so that's not even part of the conversation yeah. in this thing, right? It's just about what he said about Remembrance Day. Uh, any closing thoughts from any of you? There's other stuff I wanted to get into, but we've kept everyone long enough here. I know a lot of stuff. Yeah, to just, have all just a here. quick parting thought on on grapes. I first met him in the late '70s, and we had him for a sports celebrity dinner. I traveled with the Flames when they won the Cup that year, and he was on every one of my flights, and I got to know him. I guess the one thing is that you know he is a champion of the military and people with severe inflictions and. Uh, having terrible diseases and that. It's just that at the end of the day, when the two words that he used, um, you people, it's a reflection on society as a whole. It's not just people of color. I think uh, our parents who came over after the Second World War and tried to assimilate to North American culture, you know, you, you could sort of, are you talking about them as well, Don? I mean, where are you going here? It's just that um, it was bound to happen. Ed had the great soprano line. To me, it's kind of that, kid in the cookie jar analogy where you know he gets his wrist slapped but he keeps going back to the cookie jar and there was really no you know he could have been called out and something could have been done decades ago but it, we knew this was going to occur and at the end of the day I think a guy who deep down has good in him just did the wrong thing. It's complicated. There was a message there oh, that you know, it was commendable. Let's not forget what Remembrance Day is about but the, the delivery was so off and and so in in the end, to who he had proven to be over the years, I mean, it's it's there's a lot in this, and I think people need to recognize that it's a complicated story, and it's more than it just, is. But at the end of the day, yeah, you know, but it's but the frog he, and the scorpion, right? He finally met. I mean, yes, there's money, there's a money angle to it as well. But at the end of the day, finally, there was consequence to his words, and that it's not about freedom of speech; it's about having consequences for what you have to say. Yeah, I've got a level of fatigue on this topic. Well, no, but it was funny. <laughs> just before end. we came uh, in here, I looked up on the TV screen and I and I saw Don Cherry on with, with Tucker Carlson, and, and the fact that this is being framed as a free speech issue oh, or, the, or a politically correct issue just is so so wrong, so so far from the point. Um, so the, you know that, and then that that that's kind of the fear, and that, that's what I knew what was coming down the line. The minute he said those words, I didn't see it 
leading to this, but I, I think as you kind of like took the uh, public temperature, you could see that this was where it was finally going. And I just think it's sad at 85 after all these years, this is the thing, this is the one. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. No, well, we, you know, we've, we've run out of time. So we, you know, we didn't even get into the bad uniforms or the I'm fact that, that next we week, take some bad uniforms. Next week. Yeah. Or the fact that when they were setting the Canucks, Canucks franchise up, they lost three times, three coin tosses to the <laughs> Sabres in one day. We'll have to save all that good stuff for next Cleveland week. Cavaliers in the seventies. I thought of it. Greatest uniforms of all time. You have to look it up. Okay. We will, we will. We will add that to the list for next week because we didn't get to the uniform talk yet. All right. <laughs> Thanks to Juanita Ng for having the patience to sit through this. Thanks to you guys uh, for listening to it. When we have the opportunity to have everyone in here, we will. I think it was a lively discussion. Send us your feedback again. Apple Podcasts, just subscribe. You get this every week. Uh, download it through the thevancouversun.com, theprovince.com, and we will talk to you next week.